Hi, welcome to the LS Fables podcast. I'm Liz. And I'm Sterling. And we're going to answer one of your questions about writing, our books, or the indie author process. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at LS Fables or here on Spotify. We also have a TikTok account if you're into that kind of thing. If you want more writing tips and tricks or information about our latest releases, join our newsletter at lsfables.com. Today's topic is on world building for a novel. To start us off, I think we should probably talk about uh, just what it takes to have a believable world. To have a believable world. I guess the question becomes, what is believable? And I think that sometimes is answered by what genre are you in? So if you're doing sci-fi, then believable... Well, I don't want to be grouping sci-fi into one big category. But for me, a believable sci-fi is going to have technology and a lot of science and math and background building that feels like there's a basis in science from where that went from. But I also particularly enjoy sci-fi that is really, like, academic feeling versus, like, there are some sci-fis that are a little more um, almost, like, fantasy, but in space, you know? Yes. I think that you're totally right when it goes down to the genre of what you're writing in, because there are certain genre expectations that go into any story. So for fantasy, for, for, fantasy, for instance, you're expecting uh, cultures with histories rules for magic or engagements or political maneuverings Mm -hmm. really I guess it comes down to on both sides both fantasy and science fiction you are expecting a certain number of rules for the world to work under Mm -hmm. and that's what makes the story believable because the world has a structure in which the protagonists and the antagonists both live and operate that sometimes helps and sometimes hinders them. Yeah. That being said, those rules can come in all kinds of different packaging from the type of plants that you'll come across to the rules for magic to whether or not you'll survive if your spaceship crashes. and Yeah, and there's a lot of, um, I mean, of course, if you're the author, you're adding to that. You're setting the rules. You just need to be consistent about them. Yes. I've read books where every it's, it's, it's fantasy, but everything, all the rules are different, but you're consistent. Gravity is different. Uh, the way light works. If we have two moons and we have two suns, what does that mean? Does that affect tides and the ocean does that affect uh daylight do we have really long days do we have really short days you can be as varied as you want and crazy almost or crazy is not even the right word just really really different from what we experience here on planet earth but you have to really understand why it is your world functions that way yes and i think that one of the ways we maintain consistency is by keeping what is essentially a world-building document open while we're writing. Yeah, that's really helpful. I can't remember everything. I need reference material. Yes, it especially makes sequels easier. It makes um, plotting plotting easier. 
but I think that is the key. Anytime you include a detail within your story, be it a novel, episodic, comic, write it down in a document that you use for the purpose of world building so that you can reference that and maintain consistency across your story. Mm-hmm. No longer, whether it's a few chapters long or seven books long. <laughs> right. And that's kind of like, if you think about the stories out there that are multiple books long, and there are some out there that are nine, ten books long, and uh, seven, three, five, that's a long time, and the if the reader's invested in there with you that whole time, then they're going to know the rules. You can't kind of fiddle-faddle around it. Ah, uh, this time magic works this way. If they're with you, and this is book seven... They remember the rules of magic because they read it with you. And maybe they don't remember it perfectly. But if all of a sudden you said that these herbs were good for sleeping and then in the next book you're like, actually, these herbs are good for making you super awake. It's like, that's not fair. They bothered to learn your rules. So you should follow them, too. Yeah. Um. So like, kind of like, oh, nobody will notice. That's discounting your readers. They will notice and they appreciate it. Yes. Even more so, though. One of the things we strive to avoid as writers is kicking people out of the story. You want somebody in the the simulation, the experience, the whole time they're experiencing it. You don't want them stopping to say, huh, is that how it was last book? Or would this, would that really have happened in these rules? That sort of thing. You establish the world and consistency means that the entire time your readers are reading it, they're more likely to be enjoying the actual action and character development of the story without being distracted by the verisimilitude, the believableness of your story. Yeah. That whole, like, wait a minute moment. You don't want those. Yeah. Unless you're, like, a mystery novel and they're trying to figure out, like, what's going on. Maybe they yes. want to wait a minute. Yes. Let's go back to genre expectations. Yeah. Um, that's true. And then... The mystery novel, uh, the mystery still has to follow the rules of the world. (laughs) Even if it's paranormal, (laughs) urban fantasy, vampire mystery novels, or Agatha Christie. Yeah. (laughs) Um, You are operating under rules you get to establish, but after you establish them, you don't get to break them. Yeah. And if you, well, that being said, if you're going to break them, you need a really good reason why. Yes. And it's explained to your reader so that, again, they don't go, wait a minute. Yes. What the heck? So, for instance, might be in our books, Call of Calamity and the Shepherd of Soul series, we have how magic is established for humans and how magic works for the gods. And that's really different. So if Inyo wants to start a forest fire... She does not have to get her herbs, make her rune, do the thing and the song and the dance, which Etienne, our Madge, basically has to always do. um, Because she is operating. She's operating on a completely different system. Yeah. She's made of magic and he has all this fleshy human form he has to deal with. Unfortunate fleshy human form. (sighs) Ugly bags and mostly water. Ugly bags and mostly (laughs) water. Um, that is a sci-fi reference, I believe, to a Star Trek episode. If anybody <laughs> was wanting to know what that was about. Yes. 
so yeah, so there's kind of like step one, make your rules. So we can go into a little bit more detail of just what those rules are. Yeah. We've talked briefly about magic systems. In sci-fi, this might be technology systems. Mm -hmm. Those are some of the things that immediately pop into mind when deciding what your world's going to be. A lot of readers out there, especially of fantasy, are really interested in magic systems. They don't like things that have been done over and over again. I think Brandon Sanderson has almost built an empire off interesting magic systems. Mm -hmm. He almost feels sci-fi-y to me because it's very, very, very methodical. Yes. So that is an important part. It also creates a lot of the limitations your character will face if they're a magic-based character or working in a magic-based world. Yeah, and limitations are good for your characters, guys. Like, remember that. Don't give your character everything they need to succeed, or then you have a boring book. It's okay for magic to not be the end-all perfect, it fixes everything. It's okay for your magic to be limited. It's okay for your technology to be limited. I can't use my cell phone to restart Liv's heart if she had a heart attack. It's not a defibrillator. Like yeah. <laughs> Technology isn't an end-all fix-all, and nor is magic. And it's good for your characters to have limitations. But so I do think when you're building your magic world or your magic system and setting your rules, be reasonable. Be ready to build in problems for your characters to overcome. Mm-hmm. Then technology and magic aside, because there are fantasies that don't have a lot of magic. And yeah, or historical s- stories, you yes. know, or like... <laughs> <laughs> For that, I would take a look around the world you live in. Mm. You live in a culture. You have beliefs. And there are societal standards. Rules, laws. Rules and laws put out by the people around you, by the people in charge, in charge. of you. You're going to have a government system or, or a, a lack of or one. Or a lack of one and consequences. Yeah. If you don't have a government, then who's making your roads smooth and who's giving you clean water and making sure that everybody's getting food distributed? So you don't have to have a government. You don't have to have a king or a president or whatever, any other thing you want. But if you don't, then, then you don't have infrastructure. Yeah. You have to think like what... What is anarchy? What is a dystopian world? What is an apocalyptic world? Why? What does this affect? Even more fundamental than government systems, where do your characters live? Is it cold outside? Do they have to wear clothing to protect themselves from freezing? Is it a desert and they have to worry about getting water? Your character's environment will inform their society it'll inform their culture it'll inform what their worries are Mm -hmm. and what are like priorities for instance um here in texas lots of people have rainwater collection systems because we're usually dealing with a drought so societies places that have a lot of rain let's say washington state yes i don't know that rainwater collection is like a thing because they it's have raining. so much of it they're and never why would they want to contain it they're never strapped for water yeah but if you look at something like frank herbert's dune which is a excellent classic science fiction novel he builds an entire society around the need of water mm-hmm. <laughs> so your character's basic needs are really important uh, their climate their government into going into your world building 
from there, uh, your character's beliefs and might require certain flowers that only grow in their homeland, or they might believe in the holiness of water because they don't have enough of it, or, you know, you, what you believe in is then informed by your culture and your environment and everything else. All this is kind of connected. But to have a believable culture, you need to have either religion or a pronounced lack of it or something that fills the place of religion that isn't religion as some sort of government or consequences because of the lack thereof it and a place to live. People... They're like the basic hierarchy needs. It's like food, shelter, water, sex, safety, sex. Mm -hmm. Those are the primary reinforcers. Yes. So how are your people getting these things? What are their beliefs around them? And how does it tie into government and religion? Mm -hmm. These are big things. And societal norms. And societal norms. I think one of the things that's going to make your culture really believable is putting in little little superstitions, little beliefs, little gift-giving practices. What are the coming-of-age rules? And a lot of cultures have coming-of-age. Like, we could do a whole podcast on coming-of-age. Like, yeah. And it's super interesting. Um, Not for fantasy. Like, our real world. Have you... Look around your real world and take little details from it. There's a very cool, interesting coming-of-age thing, and I think it's at 16 in, um, I don't want to misquote, but it's um, perhaps in Indonesia, it's tooth sharpening. Yes. Young women, when they reach that age, get their um, front teeth sharpened. Yes. And it, it's it's an outward sign that you have reached adulthood and 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 you are now... Uh, uh, grown up you are part of of the world you know so uh, we have sweet 16s or graduation from high school or quinceaneras but there are these it's it's everywhere yes so that's really common in various cultures and doing something different in your fantasy culture is going to make it cooler more believable for instance, we're writing a story right now in an Asian-based fantasy world called The Thistle Queen's Thorns. It's on our vela. Yes. Quite a lot of the cultural practices in this world revolve around meanings behind flowers. They name their months after blooms. They give gifts of blooms for very different occasions. It's just the symbology is really important to their belief system, their superstition, and stuff like that. Their religion. Their religion. Even is reflective of it because of, like, what stars and flowers align. Yeah. You know, the thistle is bad. Yeah, because it's it's the flower of the month of August, which is considered unlucky. Just little, little details like that. It's like when you're painting something... The more details, the more layers of detail you put on, the clearer, the more intricate, the more interesting the image. And that's what you're creating when you're building a world. You are, it's the artwork in the anime, <laughs> you know? It's its the visual element of your novel. And, you know, its it's one of those things of like, I'm probably the worst about this, of like writing your characters in a white room. 
Yes. I really care about what they're thinking, what they're feeling, and what their body language is saying. Um, so sometimes I won't even notice if my character is in a white room. And then Liv has to be like, uh, Sterling. <laughs> Where are they? Where what are, are they we? <laughs> what does it look like? What does it smell like? Where yeah. is it gross? Is it hot? Yeah. Which when I do start not being white room lady and start adding those details, it gives me more things for my characters to then feel and think. Yes. They're not just introspective, like, I am a being, and I experience, you know, like, and I, my thoughts, they actually start experiencing the world, so then they're irritated because there's a lot of mosquitoes, because we're in the jungle, and ooh, it's hot. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I think that char- having your characters react to the culture and the environment that you've built around them is a great way to really pull your readers into the novel, because it, it feels like the readers are there with them. I would even say also that, like, let's say specifically cultural stuff can then give your characters social interaction that can dictate their their emotions and where they're going. Uh, for instance, would be, I'm going to revert back to our world that we live in, Earth. Um, we live in Texas. Texans produce a lot of body space for each other. The social polite distancing before COVID was an, about a two-foot radius. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when my husband's brother went off to school in the Northeast, um, he came back and started standing a foot and a half away from me instead of two feet. And it genuinely felt like icky. Uncomfortable. Like yes. rude. Like, why are you in my personal space? But in some places, personal space is smaller. Negligent, yes. Well, and like if you're in a large city, which he was, literally the footprint is not available Yes, for everybody. If, if there's two feet between everybody, people and are going to be standing in the line. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yes. But so, like, I think about that visceral reaction of, like, wow, why are you being so rude? And then having to go, he's not being rude. He's had to relearn his social bubble. And then thinking, are there cultures in the worlds that we're writing where there would be more space or less space? And yes. why that would be and how somebody from culture A would Might feel, feel uncomfortable around culture B just because of the difference in personal space. Yeah. Why is he so standoffish? He's standing half a room away from me. He's so rude. And he's like, no, this is just polite. Yeah. My culture. Yes. I agree with that. So it's like world building actually gives your characters more to feel, think, and react to than just plot. It makes them more fully fleshed. Mm. It gives them... By putting them in a world to live in, you're adding more elements to their culture that uh, to their character informed by their world. Mm. And there's a lot of ways that those will inform the way they react with different characters, whether it's different social class, different sexes, different beliefs, education, education, different nationalities. Mm-hmm. It, it really plays a huge part in your formation of your characters. Mm-hmm. History is really important. History is super important, which does mean you need to take the time to sit down and say who's been at war with each other, who's had alliances, who's been conquered, where are the essentially national loyalties, loyalties, distrusts, angers. Mm -hmm. Think about how World War II affected the world. Yeah. Um, Because there was rationing, people who were having to really have limited resources and be very careful about their resources during a very that time say that they were a young adult or a teenager during that time they 
in my experience, like with my grandmother, they tend to be more like, we do not waste. If you're not going to eat the last bite of your food, then give it to the dog. Like, you absolutely don't yes. waste these things. War changes culture. Yeah, and that was a huge effect that, it, it you know, that wasn't even, oh, I hate country A. They're so mean because they had a war with us. It's like unrelated to cultural ties, any of this stuff. Me as an individual went through a time of difficulty with where I didn't have enough. Therefore, now I worry about having enough and I absolutely will not waste. Yes. That's very personal. Mm -hmm. I think there are, are a lot of ways to fill in those sort of little cultural details, too. It doesn't just have to be related to war. It can be related to the legends Related to their beliefs. You know, it's stories, songs. Colloquialisms. Yes. Like, in uh, in the South, like, hotter than a... Well, now I can't think of one. This is terrible. Yeah. Y'all. Y'all. <laughs> um, Which is probably the most inclusive plural pronoun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no sex. <laughs> Our gender. It's like, yeah. All of the beings. Plural. All y'all. 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 Yeah. <laughs> all y'all. Um, actually, we encountered something along those lines recently. Something that's a fairly common joke in, for Americans is when somebody asks you to do something, you jokingly say no and then do it anyway. I see people do this all the time. I see it at work. You do it. My mom does it. I do it religiously. Yes. <laughs> I always have to say no first. No. No, I will not bring you water. And then I bring you water. But when we had a character do this, one of our European... Beta readers. Beta readers. Yeah. Had no... They were like, throwing out the water. Like, why would they say no? Why are They're they being doing so rude? It. Why are they being rude? Yes. So, those... That's not even exactly a colloquialism. No. It's just... It's a cultural thing. A cultural thing that Americans do that Europeans definitely don't. And we... Or at least a European from this particular country. Yes. Maybe so, maybe other countries do. I don't yeah, know. That's possible. Um, but yeah. No, I mean, we experience it in our world so much that sometimes when we're building a new world, you could neglect it because it's just assumed. But if you c include it... Include those cultural differences, mm -hmm. then it can really, really deepen and enrich in your world. Mm -hmm, for sure. And yeah. culture. I want to also say, not just cultural, although cultural might be the right word here, but experiential. If I am a deaf individual, yes, the way I experience my world is going to be very different than if I uh, cannot see well, or if I have lost or never had full use of a particular body part. So, cultural might be the word, but it might not be the word here. It's almost like experience. Yes. And it's hard because this does tie in so deeply to character creation mm -hmm. and plot creation. I mean, the limits you impose on your world change the plot of your story. And the culture of your world changes your characters. So these things are all really, really thickly tied together. But all all of these pillars are important to holding up a really believable story. Yeah. I'm not an architect, but something that has four corners is going to be stronger than something that's just standing on one pillar. I think that's basically world building as we understand it. Uh, the way we do it is generally we have big bases and then 
add details. Yeah, we like, put details on top of the bases. Layered details. Mm-hmm, so Lot colors and then shading on top. And, yeah. <laughs> so I guess the bases would be history, culture, culture, climate. Yeah, like literal actual setting. And government. Uh, government slash religion. Religion. And I feel like that kind of falls into maybe education as well. Yeah. And, um, you know, we have a character who can't read well because he doesn't have access to uh, education the way other characters do. Yeah. So things are harder for him. Yeah. In in just the and reading world. True for most of his culture. Yes. So reading's not a big deal for his culture. It's more based on physicality. Yeah. But that's basically world building in a nutshell, I think. There's a lot of tools out there for you because this is such a big process. I recommend starting big, starting simple, and adding color as you go. Yeah. And even though we know a lot about our worlds, we don't throw everything in at once. Yes. You don't when you're, want to overwhelm. When you're right, that's, we call that info dumping, yes. lovingly. You want to know more about your world than your reader does so that you can feed it to them in little bits. And they can discover it as they go. You don't want to tell them everything in the first chapter. Yeah. Or the first book. Yeah. If you're doing a series. Yeah. That's fair. So that is just one little tip that I would give listeners, writers, readers, whatever. Um, Have a diverse, rich world that you really, really know about and you really understand. But do not tell your readers every single thing. And on the other hand, don't fall in the trap of expecting them to know things you haven't told them yet. <laughs> so, Or remembering something that you told them 18 chapters ago, five books ago. Yeah. You know, When it comes to showing your readers the world, you almost have to take on the role of a teacher and teach them about it in little bits and remind them about what you've taught them. <laughs> Remember, we don't have gravity. Yeah. <laughs> Remember, this is how magic works. Mm. Don't forget, this is our government. That kind of thing. We are anti-murder. <laughs> I have yes. to remind readers that all the time. They can't remember that we're not supposed to kill each other. Do you remind, do you remind readers that, or do you remind yourself that? Hey! <laughs> Don't call me out like that. I'm joking. Anyway, thank you so much for listening to another one of Bella's Fables podcasts. Yeah, and don't forget to follow us on Instagram or TikTok or uh, here on Spotify. At Ellis Fables. Yes. LS Fables, LSFables.com, LS Fable Tiki Talk. That's a thing, right? I think it's just LS, LS Fables on TikTok. That's boring. Oh, well. I really need a little bit more. I didn't make the rules. Wait. <laughs> who, who built this world? Who built it? <laughs> we have uh, <laughs> a complaint. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Bye.